In his early 20s, he created a hit show for Discovery Networks called Graveyard Cars that still airs across the country today. In this episode, Casey Ferris, a YouTuber and video editor with a passion for VFX, tells me how a young editor can make their way to the top without years of struggle. With over 30 million views and 300,000 subscribers, it's easy to forget the call center job Casey took to pay his rent as he learned the software that launched him on an epic journey toward his dream. What's the best way to launch a legendary editing career? You're a gem. I wanted to be a graphic designer. And I'd been using some of the Adobe programs and stuff since I was like, I mean, since I could use a computer, my, my dad was uh, not really a graphic designer, but he had access to the Adobe products. And so I was using like Illustrator when it came out, you know, in probably not diapers, but, but pretty, pretty small. And, um, I remember always just loving, be able to make things digitally. And so I was excited for that. And then high school, me and my friends just started messing around and making movies. And um, what really, I think, kicked that off was uh, we saw The Matrix. And sometimes it's kind of this cliche thing. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's it's The Matrix. Everybody likes The Matrix. But, man, that was really just the big deal for me is, is realizing what a movie could look like and the type of effects and everything that uh, would be available for somebody to uh, explore. What what were the the scenes that that stuck out to you that that you still have in your mind from that? All of it, honestly. The the bullet time, obviously, uh, you know, running on walls and flying and guns in general is cool. You know, it's like a freshman in high school. You know, I I think wearing sunglasses and shooting guns and and stuff is the coolest. And so. <laughs> For my first time seeing, it, I remember that just the Gatling gun in the helicopter. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It it was wasn't a movie I would have been allowed to watch, but my friend snuck it over to my house and I had it on VHS, and we watched it. And it was already late at night, and I just stayed up the whole time like watching. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so perfect. Yeah. Me so. Too. I think that's kind of what kicked it off, and then yeah, me and my friends wanted to make action movies, and we had you know fake guns and. Uh, you know, that was right around when eBay was kind of taken off and, um, you know, and so we'd, we'd order these like fake guns on eBay and they'd just be awful. And, uh, but we try and make movies with them and fake blood or what other effects, practical effects were you doing at that point? It was a lot of wanting to just look cool and do slow motion stuff. And so we'd, you know, walk around the corner and, and, uh, Ooh. and we would just slow it down in, in post, you know, we didn't know anything about cameras or anything, but just doubling up the frames. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it was it was terrible. Um, <laughs> but I remember, like, tr we went to Goodwill just to find stuff to break because we wanted to break stuff in slow motion. And so we'd get like this big flower pot, and you know, this guy was intimidating this other guy and broke his flower pot on his porch and stuff. And and you know, it's all just um, put to super loud Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> you know, because. So you're making these short films, uh, getting better at them. Were you in Final Cut 7 or what was the software at the time? Sony, Sony Vegas. Sony Vegas. Uh, yeah, I started in Pinnacle Studio. Um, I think used Windows Movie Maker. And then, you know, Pinnacle was actually pretty good compared to uh, Windows Movie Maker. And then, yeah, I found a crack for Vegas or something at some point. And 
um, started working with that. And I was like, wow, yeah, I can actually really do some cool stuff here. And it did green screen and all that stuff. And Oh, awesome. It's funny because, yeah, a lot of people started on Final Cut. And I started on Vegas. And then once I ended up going to, uh, I went to a community college for um, multimedia production. And they all ran on Final Cut. I think it was Final Cut 5 at the time was just like, I already know Vegas, you know, it's fine. And so I would just edit my stuff at home on Vegas and quickly realized that like, I didn't want to be that kid in school that just wouldn't use anything that was provided. And that always thought that you, you know, you had a better tool. Cause that's just like a really closed minded mindset, you know? Mm. And so I quickly realized I should just learn the software that is being presented to me because it's not going to be that hard compared to, you know, so I ended up doing that. And, um, that's when I realized like, wow, man, this is, this is really cool. And I feel like I'm pretty good at this. You know, I, you know, it was, it wasn't like a big film school or anything, but it was a bunch of people in the class that, you know, they would make a project and I go, wow, that was quite bad, <laughs> you know, and then my group would make a project and it would be really cool. And, uh, so I don't know. It, it was just a time of realizing like, wow, not everyone is really pro at stuff and not saying that I am, but I care enough to like learn this, these things. And that's not necessarily everybody's priority, which I thought was a really interesting, um, thing to kind of pick up from school, you know? Yeah. And so that was a film program that you were in. Yeah, it was multimedia product, multimedia design. So they they did um, all kinds of. Uh, they did like Photoshop and Illustrator. They did three D animation. They did audio. It was really great actually to have a foundation, like a really wide foundation on on everything. Uh, and I super appreciated it actually. So then what? What? Where did you go after school? So at this point. Um, we learned Final Cut, Maya, Pro Tools, and Photoshop. And those were kind of the main ones that that school teach, taught. That's a great, great combination. Yeah, it was. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it, it was just beginner level knowledge of, of several things. Um, and then we also learned a program called uh, Adobe Director. It was kind of like Flash, sort of. It was like, it was like Shockwave Flash kind of stuff because it's kind of a mixture of um, design as well as coding, uh, which I was a little bit into coding and kind of excited about how that worked. And so um, I ended up getting like a gig with a, with the company I was working for making a uh, interactive kind of uh, training program for, uh, I worked for a call center and they wanted to train people how to use this software. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to make a digital like version of this software that you can click on things and it pops up and it tells you what to do and everything. And that's all made in shockwave. Basically that whole app got completely next by Adobe and just isn't a thing anymore. But, um, I kind of went from there to realizing like, wow, there, there are, there are a lot of cool opportunities outside of, you know, doing wedding videos, <laughs> which I did for, for years through, through college. And, uh, and even after wow. what was it working on that educational app that sort of opened your eyes to how much fun it could be teaching. What's funny is at that point I started making tutorials on 
Adobe director. And I don't even know why I started. Like I just figured out how to record the screen and I just started saying like, okay, this is how, you know, you do this one little handler or whatever. I was uploading them to YouTube and I don't know why, like I didn't expect anyone to watch them. I thought it was such a niche, weird program that I'm like, nobody's going to care, you know, but for some reason I liked doing it. And, uh, I always thought it was interesting because like while I was doing it, I was just like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. And like my friends that were super supportive and nice, they would like watch it and they're like, wow, that's really interesting. And I was like, you don't care about this though, but that's cool that you watched it, you know, but I realized like in school that, um, I can learn software really quickly. I don't know why, but it's just not a problem for me to like pick up a piece of software and get really good at it. And I wish I had that man, it's, it's wild. And so as I'm realizing this, I get into, uh, after effects and I start learning a little bit from Andrew Kramer, you know, like we all did, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And I realized two things. One is that I really like after effects. And two is that the way that Andrew Kramer did tutorials was really entertaining. And I was like, wait a minute, like that's really fun. You know, I'm like, I, I can learn stuff and teach it and also, you know, use software that I like, huh? Like kind of putting these little pieces together, but I ended up learning after effects over like a couple months and I learned it enough to get a job doing compositing, um, for like a local TV show kind of thing. And then that ended up being a big production company. And we kind of built a company from the ground up, which is, which is not released the hounds. It was a different company, um, with a couple of people okay. and ended up getting a, uh, a reality show on to the discovery networks. And like, like we just built it completely grassroots. Uh, but it all started with me being part of this and like helping them kind of make this animation for this, uh, for like a short part of it. What, what was the concept? What was the show? The show's called Graveyard Cars. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it? It, it's basically like taking old muscle cars and bringing them back from the dead. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was really, really cool. They called it the cold open. It was just the first experience that you got with this show was, you know, like this old kind of Frankenstein type of uh, old, you know, black and white film kind of style thing where... Uh, these guys go into a graveyard and they dig up this car and they bring it home and they start working on it like in um, Frankenstein's laboratory. And a lot of it was shot during the day and they need day to night conversions. They needed rotoscoping. They needed to add fog and like all that stuff out of digital moon, you know, so it looks creepy. And and the car was actually buried, like fully buried underground. Yeah, <laughs> they did. They did. They didn't know how bad of an idea that was, but they went ahead and did that. <laughs> That's and incredible. It was, it did not work well. <laughs> How did they get it out? Was there like a ramp? Could they eventually just get in there and turn it on and drive it out? They ended up uh, having to dig it out with a backhoe and like it turned into like a whole days of work thing. And that happened actually before I was there, but <laughs> that's incredible. But it was pretty wild. And so you got to see, you got to, you were in the front row seat of watching a, a show get produced and picked up by a big network. Yeah. What was really cool. I'm really thankful for that experience because one, um, I had, I, I honestly kind of had no business being part, like being, uh, being hired 
as an After Effects person because, like, I you know I just didn't have that much. You well, you only been doing it a few months, and you and you. Yeah, I just only been doing it a couple months, and so I was thankful for that. Um, and it's a really cool show, but really, like, the big thing was it was me and one other guy eventually working on this show and we had no idea what we were doing. Okay. Oh my God. Between the two of you, all the posts for the show. And so this guy had gone to the local university, uh, university of Oregon, um, and did the film program there. And so he knew quite a bit and I knew, you know, I had my, my knowledge, but we'd neither of us had made a show. Neither of us understood how to put together any kind of TV show other than just general film knowledge. You know, we didn't know how networks worked. Like we didn't know what format they wanted or if we were using the right cameras or anything. This was right as DSLRs were coming out. So we ended up shooting that show on the 5d Mark II and the 7d because I sold a bunch of stuff and ended up getting a 7d. And so we started on my personal camera and his personal camera and put together a pilot and we're like, in our mind, what was going to happen was we we're going to put this pilot together and we're going to send this off to Discovery Channel or whoever. And they were going to go, this is brilliant. Here's a million dollars. Please make, you know, 20 more episodes. And what actually happened was we put the pilot together and sent it into nowhere. And for three years, we didn't hear anything back. And we were just trying to make, you know, people like our Facebook page and make YouTube videos and stuff about it what ad where what address did it go to where did you send it just like the offices of discovery i guess wow okay yeah we figured we could make the show ourselves and they could just air it but we didn't know how to go about that at all and so we were just shooting in the dark you know we eventually got hooked up with a distributor who knew people at discovery and ended up kind of working something out and basically discovery bought that show from us rented that show from us for just pennies i mean nothing this is graveyard Cur oh wow okay yeah this is the first oh my show God. and so we finally got like them to play this six episode season that we made ourselves over the course of a couple of years just being impatient um and they liked it a lot and then they ordered a second season and now it's in it's like 12th or 13th 15th season something like that i'm not there anymore yeah. It's still going right now. Yeah. This is amazing. What? Yeah. It was pretty crazy. Okay. <laughs> and so are you a executive producer or how what what how are you involved in it? Um I'm not involved anymore. I have executive producer credit for the first four seasons, I think, but I ended up leaving and doing my own thing. That's wild. Did this so uh the second season I imagine paid more more Slightly. than a little bit. It, it was kind of one of those things where everybody involved was just so excited to make it that we're like, if we can pay our bills, let's just go, you know, like, let's make it. So it was a lot of, it was definitely a labor of love for a long time. That's amazing. How did the show change in that second, third season? As I guess you were stepping back. Was there, was that by choice? Did you, did you want to work on other things? And yeah, I mean, this show um, was like the perfect environment for learning because, um, the way that our, the, the guy who was running it, our, our boss, the way that he approached things was so, was just so much like, we're just going to go for it and learn as we go that it created this environment where it was okay to fail and it was okay to try and just 
do your best. And if it doesn't work, then try something else. And that's really what we did for a few years. And, um, I learned so much during that time and the guys that I worked with learned so much. And so one of the things that I learned was all about color grading and, and color correction. And we started, I mean, we made the the pilot for the show and it's shot on a mix of different cameras. And, and then I'm like, well, none of these cameras match. How do we deal with that? And that was back in the Apple color days. Apple color had just come out. And so I'm like, all right. And so I picked up Apple color and kind of worked with that and ended up doing color correction. It took like three weeks because I had no idea what I was doing. Yep. Special monitor or just right there on your computer? Nope. Just on a iMac, I think. It, Mac Pro maybe. And, you know, it wasn't good. It, it didn't look good. <laughs> but it was better than anybody else was doing around here. I was, I was as qualified as anybody else working on the show, so... So that's when I realized, man, I really like color and this is really interesting to me. And so I ended up just diving into that. And, um, and, and so I, and so your question was like, how did it change? Like I kind of stepped back into more of a, I'm doing less of a, I'm doing everything role and more of a, I'm just going to focus on like some of the editing and color and we're going to let other people do other things, which was my first lesson in delegating stuff. <laughs> yeah. During that first season, were you staffing up as quickly as possible? Finding, were, were there directors you were bringing on, post post guys? How did that work? I laugh because you would think, um, and it, that sounds like a really professional, good idea. Um, but It was all you. But it? it was more like, <laughs> yeah, I was working on this and a couple other people would come in on the weekends. This other guy was like collecting unemployment and kind of like coming in and just volunteering. And we did that for a long time. A, a nationally yeah. televised yeah. show. You were, you were just creating it. That's incredible. Yeah. You you discover this love of color. And so what, what happened in those following years? couple things happen is one, uh, we were shooting CineStyle on our, our cannons, which is their, it's like their log format. Yeah. People don't know. It's like a, a log format sort of, um, for the Canon DSLRs. And so we were, we were shooting that and we had to color correct all of that. And, um, I realized a couple things like one is people don't really understand color at all. And right. oh, yeah. some people understand it enough to know that you should shoot log and then they don't have any idea what to do with it. <laughs> um, and so I ended up making some presets, making some LUTs actually for the different cameras that we use on the show. And so we ended up like, I can throw this LUT on on this camera and it looks pretty good. And it was speeding up our workflow and stuff. And so I ended up putting some of those LUTs up on our website and was like, hey, if anybody needs like these LUTs that kind of help with, we, we developed these, if you want to download them, go for it. That was about the same time that I was getting into DaVinci Resolve and started starting to work on that. And that was back in Resolve 9, Resolve 8, when it just did color and that's all. And um, it was quite, it was quite a feat to get your project into Resolve so that you can do color and then you'd have to export back out to whatever you were using. Um, but even though that was awkward, the tools in Resolve were so good that I was just like, well, we have to use this. I'm dropping Apple Color because Apple Color, I never experienced Apple Color and had it work 
consistently. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want, right? <laughs> yeah. But I ended up learning Resolve and posting these LUTs at the same time and just getting super into color stuff. And then I noticed one day that our LUTs were getting a ton of downloads. And like, we didn't have a big popular website. We weren't that great at social media. Like it was just organic, like people finding LUTs and downloading them through search or how were they finding? Yeah. Through search. Like it just came up. I I think I made like a blog about like how we color correct our cameras and link to the LUTs and they found it. And And I mean, it was like, uh, I think a few hundred, like, uh, when I checked it, it was like a couple weeks later and it was a few hundred downloads, which was, you know, and great. Yeah. And so I ended up making our first pack for ground control um just kind of on a whim like one day i was like i don't know let's go let's go shoot some samples and i'll make some color grades and put it up in a in a pack and sell it for 20 bucks or something and that wasn't wasn't really happening yet you weren't following someone else's lead you just oh that's amazing so there was like um what was it vision color vision color had lets uh and that's pretty much it from what i could tell um but the, you know, their LUTs were general for. Yep. So you were doing more specialized, cool. Custom. Yeah. So this was the first LUTs that um, were designed for specific cameras. Okay. This was a little bit before the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera came out, the first one, which was like the first camera that anyone like me could afford that shot really high quality stuff, you know, that was less yeah. than $3,000 or something. Yeah, that was a game changer. I remember we I, we shot something on on that, and we're just amazed at. Yeah, and like from there, I realized like, wow, um, really, like a lot of people bought this camera, and nobody knows how to use it. They know it's awesome, and they have no idea what to do after that. And so, I ended up making a a, a digital book, like a um yeah, an ebook on how to use this camera, and that's kind of where that came in, and then the Lutz thing came in. And realize like, yeah, people need help figuring this stuff out that I already know because I've been learning like tour de force for like the last five years of how to deal with this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you get that book out there? Was this when you're, you started posting on YouTube? Yeah, this was about the same time. Um, yeah, I put the, I think the ebook was just on Amazon. You like make it in word and then upload it to Amazon or whatever. How popular was that? It wasn't like insane, but it was more than I thought it would be because it it quickly got um quite a bit of attention on like no film school and and like some blogs and stuff and I think there's a few other blogs that were into it. Okay. You know, cool. I'd get comments and reviews and emails and stuff about it and I was like people are actually reading this, you know, and like mm, I probably should have tried a little harder to make this good cuz I kind of threw it together, you know. <laughs> that's that's even better. Yeah. Uh it- and so, and so then what, so you're, uh, you're posting your videos, you're starting, were you getting views right away? Were you getting subscribers right away? Yeah. Um, it, it was one of those things where, you know, my friends subscribed and everything and I had like 200 subscribers or whatever. And I would post like videos of me, uh, doing camera tests and stuff. And, uh, I ended up doing like a quick tutorial on how to color grade the black magic pocket cinema camera. Um, cause again, cause nobody knew how to do it. And I was like, this is what I do. I don't even know if it's right. <laughs> like I literally learned by like trying really hard for the last few years, but this is how I do it. And then 
like within a couple months, I had like 4,000 subscribers and I was like, is this a thing? Like (laughs) that was kind of a lot of it is, is just falling into like, I make something and I'm not even sure why I think, cause I just like to make things and then people like it. And I was like, oh, oh, this is a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You, You fall into opportunity. Yeah. It's kind of been a lot of that. Yeah. So after that came out, um, I was kind of in, I don't know, friendly competition with a guy I was working with who was also a nerd and liked making things and, you know, liked uh, color grading and stuff. And he would make tutorials and we would kind of both make tutorials and like sort of, you know, low key compete with each other. Um, And that went on for a few months and stuff. And then I got like a couple more shares on no film school and it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Cause like my account started blowing up and I felt bad. Cause I'm like, I'm not trying to like, <laughs> like it kind of went from like, Oh, this is fun. We're competing to like, you know, I, I feel like he kind of felt bad and it was kind of this awkward thing. Yeah. Did he keep going? Or... Yeah. He, he kept doing some other stuff. I think he kind of got out of the tutorial game and kind of did his own thing. Um, which was cool. Like he's, he's brilliant, great guy, but like it was, um, it was just weird because it's not like I set out to be like this amazing YouTuber or something. I just kind of kept getting these random opportunities. And then after a while, I, I just had to start taking things seriously. Um, because once I had, you know, a few thousand subs, I was like, well, I guess I should probably make videos on a regular basis instead of whenever I want. And so I tried to make a video like every two weeks for a while. And then it ended up being every week. And I stayed with that for probably probably a couple of years just making a video every week wow when you wanted to travel or go take a vacation would you double up do two or or even three no honestly like i'm still not that worried about it like because if i don't post for a week it's not a big deal the algorithm will will continue loving you yeah that that's the thing i've learned about being a creative person is that you if you take yourself too seriously you forget that you're having fun. Like you forget that yeah. this is fun. It's a cool job. It's such a yeah. cool job, you know? And I, like I tell people I work with now, it's like, Oh, we're, when we get all stressed out about a project, I'm like, dude, we like the other day we were like, we were all worried about this thing. We were all just like sitting on the couch, just like, Oh, and then I was like, hold on. We're stressed out about figuring out where a pretend spaceship flies. Yeah, That's what we're yeah. stressed about. How yeah. awesome is our life? <laughs> and we all started laughing, you know, because it's just like... I, I, wor- I worked with a girl who would remind me sometimes, we're not saving lives. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not heart surgery. Yeah. Okay. So on that topic, I think that's a perfect uh, transition to Tuesday on Earth. You have that amazing uh, rocket opening the scene. Really cool visual effects throughout that piece. Thank you. And then uh, Time is Money. Mm-hmm. Great, great sci-fi short film. Ha- tell me about Release the Hounds. Tell me about... Uh, your experience producing really high production value sci-fi shorts and, and where you want to go from here with those. Yeah. It's funny that you say sci-fi shorts. Cause like we never really f- necessarily planned on just being doing sh- sci-fi shorts, but that is generally what we do. Like we have, we have a couple other in the works that they're both sci-fi shorts. So whatever, <laughs> but um, I same. it's the best. Yes. I dude, I love sci-fi. Honestly, like that's my favorite genre of, Anything. I'm saying it's the best. Yeah. Yes. Like my favorite movie for a long time. I mean, obviously I like the matrix. Uh, I loved um, independence day. Oh yeah. That was a classic. So good. You know, um, 
I love aliens and monsters and all that stuff. The first Stargate was the one that, as a kid, blew my mind. I saw it in the theater, and my head exploded. I said, oh, my God. I was like, I don't know, maybe eight or something. I dropped my wallet uh, in the theater. I was there with my grandparents, and we left, and we got in the car. And because I was in such a such a daze leaving, like like I was still in the movie as we're walking out. I was like, oh, what did I just see? We get in the car. I was like, oh, no, my wallet with my life savings in it. So we go back to, you know, find the the aisle we'd been sitting in and, and can sort of remember what seats they were. So I'm looking under all the seats in the dark and I find this my wallet, except it wasn't my wallet. It was the exact same like uh, red cloth and a little gray lining. But it wasn't mine because someone had scribbled all over it with pen and like graffitied the hell out of it. And it was empty. And I was like, what are the chances that someone else would have the exact same one? Dude, that's wild. <laughs> I was too young to accept the fact that someone had just destroyed my wallet after taking the cash. And so I thought it was just a coincidence that there happened to be this other one <laughs> laying there. It was... <laughs> how long... Wait, how much time went in between those? Like... Like tw 20 minutes. Somebody found a wallet, took all the stuff out of it and wrote on it and put it... Someone found it, took it out and drew like elaborate graffiti all over it. Uh, and like dicks. Like what? And, why? <laughs> and dump it. <laughs> I don't know. Like that, that almost takes some planning. It's like, I'm gonna look for wallets today. <laughs> it was, um, they executed perfectly. Wow. Uh, so it, it was, uh, it was, uh, anyways, so that, that always, uh, goes hand in hand with my first amazing sci-fi experience. Gosh, that's crazy. So <laughs> you have a couple in the works. Can you give me any hints or or uh just a general direction that you're going with release the house yeah one of the things we're focusing on these days is uh is training so um it was pretty pretty obvious to us pretty quick i mean as soon as i started doing tutorials i'm like wow uh having material to teach on is pretty rough because you can use like a, a lot of the time I use stock footage, uh, for just one-off tutorials, but if you want people to download stuff and follow along with it, a lot of sites don't, don't have that like in their rights, you know, you'd have to pay a lot of money to do that. Mm. Why don't we just make movies that we want to make and then do training on them? You know, like this is like, we, we kind of realized this after, you know, cause we, we sold LUTs for a really long time. We still do but we're not really making any more LUTs. Uh, but we ended up releasing a training um, a couple years ago that did really well and it was really fun and pretty easy to make and people really liked it. And uh, I was like, man, if we could just have material, we could just make training. Like that's just the problem. And we ended up hiring our friend that we worked with at Graveyard Cars actually. And we're like, Hey man, will you help us edit? And will you help us? Uh, like, what if we just started making our own movies? Because this is a way for us to pay for ourselves making our own movies. Nobody gets to do that. Like nobody gets to make whatever they want and get paid for it. Any film, any movie you want. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, did we just hack the Gibson? Like, is this, is this real life? And we all looked at each other. We're like, okay. <laughs> and so we tried it and like, yeah, man, it's, it's working pretty well. So, so every short that you're shooting, have they all been become part of trainings? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So the first one we really did this with is uh, time is money. And so we have a training that end to end training, and that takes you through the entire post-production process of that film. Every shot, Mm. every minute of every shot. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd never seen a training that does that, of course, that that does that. And so um, I was really excited about that and people really liked it. Are you seeing their cuts? How often will you see the, the creative different interpretations of that footage? Not, nobody's really showed us uh, one of their cuts. And, and I, I almost wonder if people don't necessarily go through it all themselves. You know, we've, we've done a lot of like case studies and trying to figure out how people learn and how people like enjoy the training the most. And I, I don't think anybody really cuts their whole film together. I could be wrong. Okay. Maybe they're focused on a certain area that they really want to learn. I think that's a lot of it is they want to see it from beginning to end, but they don't actually need to do the whole thing themselves. Um, but the opportunity is there. They could just completely edit the film if they want to, yeah. you know? Yeah. We did that for the end to end training. And then our, we did an intro to resolve training and a color training. And each of those has a film um, or a project that's related to it. And so, um, Tuesday on earth was designed for the intro, um, just so that there's a little bit of everything. There's a little bit of visual effects, there's color, there's audio, there's everything. Um, and if they download that training, they have, um, a select number of assets from that film that they can kind of practice these things on. And then same for color. Um, they can color grade the entire ungraded movie. Uh, and there's also another project, which is just a sketch that we did but we have another training coming out very soon, which is on the, uh, editing workflow. So it's all about how you actually create a project. Um, and some of the stuff that we've learned over the years, how to edit faster, how to tell better stories, um, with a little bit of the extra stuff like color grading and everything. Um, but that is, uh, that's on a new film that we're, we're going to release at the same time. I love asking people, so making these short films, what, what production chaos have you experienced? What's been the, the biggest onset nightmare you've dealt with? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the other day, uh, shooting this film, um, that part of it is, uh, set in an old warehouse. Like, you know, you think about like, okay, think about the warehouse that the bad guys that steal the dog in the dog movie and keep the dog there, that's the warehouse that they're in. Okay? You found the warehouse. <laughs> yeah, it's the warehouse where they keep the dog, right? Is the, are the dogs still there? Yeah, all of them. Yes. Oh, yeah, this is this is going. every bad guy from every Airbud movie. Uh, <laughs> and um, we ended up shooting at this junkyard, which sort of look, parts of it sort of look like a, uh, a warehouse. And we got permission to do this and planned it all out and everything and scheduled everything months in advance. And then the day comes and it's just pouring rain. It's just the most rain we've ever had on a day here in Oregon, which is we're used to rain, but it was a lot of rain. And so this whole place is just a mud hole and we're trying to get things done. And, um, the guy, and, and so we can't bring any of our lights out because we don't have any waterproof lights or anything. And the sun's going down. The whole thing has to be day for night or at night with a lot of light. And so we're like, what do we do? And the, the old guy that's like in charge of the junkyard, he's like, well, I don't know if this would help at all, but I do have this giant waterproof light 
you know, like this industrial light. And I was like, no, I don't think that would help at all. Get the light out so we can shoot. <laughs> Why would we want that? And so he ended up taking this light out and just like dragging it through the mud. And like, you know, he had to jump start it and all this stuff. It was just this wow. big thing. And it was powerful. It gave you what you needed. Yeah, it was. It was perfect. And so we lit up like this entire, like probably acre of uh, junk with this one light. And now it's our moonlight, basically. Ah, perfect. It was great, but it was just like, it went from, I don't know what we're going to do to like, this is amazing. And we also have like real rain and all this stuff. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's not usually what happens (laughs) in that situation. (laughs) I feel like you are uh, an early pioneer, early adopter who's been um, a huge fan for years now at a very interesting, now, of course, everyone's realizing, oh my God, uh, this is amazing software and it, and it's quickly stealing market share from Premiere. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it that drew you initially and how do you feel the software? I watched the great video where you're just watching, I think it was uh, Resolve 7, 17 where you're talking about, as, as, as they're doing the product release, you're like, oh my God, this is a feature. I've been wanting this. And, and it felt like over and over again in that product announcement, they're like, identifying things that you've really wanted and you're like oh, yeah. this you're like it seems like a small thing but these are the things that save you time you know day to day yes how do they keep uh hitting such a sweet spot with these updates i was super into final cut for a long time uh and through final cut 7 to where they kind of discontinued that and then jumped over about cs 5.5 to um adobe loved adobe like i said i've been using adobe since i was like 5 years old or whatever and uh, it, it's funny how the culture has changed from, you know, before me, from what I can tell, it's like, if you don't use Avid, then why, why are you even editing the thing. Yeah. to then, if you don't use Final Cut 7, why are you even editing? And then if, and then it's like, oh, I edit on Premiere and it's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then that quickly became like, yeah, if you're serious, you edit on Premiere. Like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> Then it was like, are you kidding? You're still on Final Cut? Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, oh, Final Cut 10 came out. And they're like, yeah, but come on. <laughs> Although there's a lot of a lot of really good stuff about Final Cut 10. I, I wouldn't yeah. throw them under the bus. but I'm, I'm meeting more and more people who, who love it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was super into, into Premiere and loved After Effects. Like I said, I mean, I, that was my main main job for quite a while. Um. But yeah, what really got me over into Resolve was the color correction. I mean, it's just a phenomenal color corrector. And the thing is, like, anymore, like, I was just looking at this the other day. Um, If you want to color grade your film, you can do it in Lumetri. And it works great. It it looks good. It's very powerful. Um, I'm not going to complain about Lumetri at all. Uh, But if you want to go one level deeper then just doing a look and doing basic corrections on all of your shots. Uh, that's where Lumetri gets awkward real quick. Like it just, you, you just don't go that deep because it's hard, right? Awkward how? So for instance, if I wanted to select somebody's face and brighten it, you can put another Lumetri effect on it and you can select their face. You can even track their face. I don't know about you. Every time I've tried to do that, Premiere crashes or, Mm. or 
at least has trouble or goes slowly and it's kind of just a thrown together feeling thing and that's for one shot you know and then you want to go to a different shot and if you want to do that level of color grading to your entire project it's just there's there's so much so many hoops you need to jump through that you just tend to be like "Mm, a basic color grade is fine (laughs) you know but with resolve in the same amount of time the the same amount of energy i mean you can make it look just awesome you can adjust five different parts of your shot and you can track it and you can do all this stuff like in the same amount of time when you compare those things uh the amount of control that resolve gives you is just it's a it's a no-brainer to me so that's how i got into resolve is you know especially coming from apple color uh and being like wow this is this is a much better much better program um and it's free so i'll try it out and i can use it and it's great and so we we color graded you know our our whole tv show on free version of resolve you know (laughs) but once they brought editing into it the the first the first time they kind of brought the timeline in they're like yeah you can edit and premiere if or in resolve it's kind of like yeah but it's terrible like it's not good he's like what I remember that, you know? And so like, yeah, you could kind of do stuff, but it was really jank. Like it was messed up. And so everybody's like, yeah, that's cute. You know? But then the next year it came out and it was like, all the problems were fixed. Like 90% of them were fixed. And, and to the point where like, wow, this is quite good actually. Oh, they got serious. Yeah. It got serious. And then you're like, okay, I could see if you wanted to do a small project, you could edit it and resolve and it would be mm. cool. And then that's nice. Cause you can jump into the color page in it. You don't have to like throw XMLs back and forth. It's great. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, that's cool. You know? Um, but then the next year it was like that, that much better again. Wow. And I remember there being, cause, okay. Cause there was a time when we were editing on final cut and we went to NAB and, Adobe had their booth there and they're like, this is what you can do in Adobe. And we're just like, why haven't we switched yet? Like, this is amazing. Like we're going to use this tool. And we went home and we like switched all of our computers from final cut to Adobe. Right. Yeah. That moment happened with, I think resolve thir- uh, 14. Same watershed moment where it's like, Oh my God, they leapfrogged. Yeah. It was just like, this is amazing. Like, why this does everything that premiere does for the most part, like for 90% of what you want to do, but you can easily go into color. And so, uh, at that point that was after we had started our production company and we were still like, I was doing resolve tutorials and editing them on premiere and then putting them out and everything. But I started editing on resolve and I was like, this is actually really good. And I showed my, my friend, my coworker and he's like, yeah, this is really good. And why are we, why are we paying for Adobe? This is really weird. And so, but we're like, well, after effects, Photoshop. Okay. You know? Yeah. And then they basically did that thing every, um, every time they updated resolve, every update was just a massive, it was just a massive improvement and, or they added a whole new thing. Like they added the Fairlight page, which is all about audio. You know, it's basically Adobe edition, but built into the, into the software and then they added fusion and that's you know competes with after effects and so it was just like well this is actually amazing 
And so it was, it was at a point where we're like, I, I opened up our Adobe account to like load an old project that we had. And it was like last opened 400 days ago, <laughs> like premiere had been last opened 400 days ago. And yeah, I was like, the cobwebs. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, why are we paying for this? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah. So, I mean, we canceled our Adobe subscription and we're like just on full resolve and that's been, yeah, a couple of years couple years at least three or four years now. now a lot of people are doing that what do you think is mm -hmm. uh for the the editor who's earlier in their career or just ready to to double down on on a tool uh do you think it's it's wise to be focusing on resolve and how do you think the software landscape is going to evolve in the coming years yes i think it's wise to do resolve but one big thing is it's free i mean you download it and try it out you don't have anything to lose um, I have yet to find a major thing. I mean, other than gimmicky things, um, like a certain plugin or a certain random feature, um, I have yet to find some huge reason to use any Adobe thing over Resolve. But the great thing is, like, if you learn the edit page of Resolve, you basically know Premiere. It's the same thing. Like, you can, if you get good at editing in the edit page for free, and then you get a job on Premiere, it's going to take you a solid weekend to, like, figure out how to use Premiere. Like, honestly. So it's like, you have nothing to lose. <laughs> in one of your videos, you said a lot of people don't understand the edit page, but you think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so the cut page is something that uh, they released a couple versions ago, and it's based on the thought of saving you time and letting you edit faster. You spend a lot of time zooming into your timeline and scrolling around to find your clips. You know, you spend a lot of time double clicking on something and dragging it over. And so it's a different interface that takes that stuff out to where you can really quickly put together, you know, a simple edit. Like you probably wouldn't do a, a feature film with a ton of like audio work or something all in the cut page, but you could lay out a rough cut of it in the cut page and it's really kind of designed for news shooters, you know, people that's just going to put together a news story for vlogs, um, anything that's like one line of, you know, clips with attached audio. You can put stuff like that together super quick. And it also uh, uses this thing, the, uh, the um, speed editor. And it's really cool, but only for some things, right? So like, I mean, if you vlog every day, no question. Like that would be an amazing thing to, to learn. You know, if you're putting together a 17 camera music video, I mean, honestly, actually the cut page is really good for, for multicam too. So maybe. So what's going <laughs> to happen to the editor, the role of the editor in the couple, uh, in the coming years. And what about the role of the visual effects artist, especially as we enter, you know, as we approach the metaverse and, and a time when there's going to be a need for a lot of builders who can model assets and, and create environments that we're all going to be spending a lot of time in. Yeah. Um, I think what's going to continue to happen is just what, what's already happening uh, with editors is um, an editor is no longer somebody who just edits, you know, it's somebody who maybe primarily puts things together in the timeline, but also knows how to color grade and knows how to do some effects and graphics and stuff like that, just because the tools are so easy to get a hold of now. And I mean, especially in Resolve, it's all one tool, basically. 
Uh, and I mean, and not a slouch either. I mean, really, really professional level tools. And, and so like we did a survey a while ago and we asked, what's your, what's your biggest challenge editing? Like when it comes to editing and the main response, and the, we got a lot of responses that were color grading is hard or uh, fusion is hard, you know, compositing and graphics is hard, yeah. which isn't editing. Yeah. Uh, That's different. Right. But they're all thinking about it and, and they consider that part of their role. They consider that part of editing. And so I'm like, wow. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that was a big thing for us because we were going to put together this like editing training and we realized like, man, if we put this together, I don't know if anybody's going to buy it because first of all, they don't even know if they want editing. Like pe people generally don't feel like, I, I don't feel like they need a lot of help with the editing part of editing um, because they figure it's just part of the big thing, you know, and what they really need help with is color grading and stuff. And if we make a editing class and they buy it and it doesn't include color grading, they're going to say, I thought you were teaching me editing. <laughs> oh, that's wild. I love that. So, yeah. What, and this is something I've talked about uh, with a few people on the show recently is what used to be such siloed roles in mm -hmm. recent years are very much becoming, uh, you know, the, the, the expectation is changing to you, you need to know how to do all of these things. Uh, we did a, we're, we're, we filmed a course and, and are in post on it right now about, it's called the art of the trailer. And it's taught by a guy who runs one of the big Hollywood movie trailer studios. And something he said, which, uh, has really stuck with me is that the editor of, you know, the, the star editor that they're looking to hire is not just an editor. It, it is that, yeah. that predator or that, you know, what the one, the one man band or the one woman band who has yeah. the creative mind, they can think about the concept, they can write it, they can pitch it to the, to the team or to the client. Then they can go, they can, they have a great sense of music and pacing and they can create an amazing music edit, a wonderful edit. They can copyright, you know, as necessary. Sometimes they'll be writing uh, pieces of creative content that then that agency will will have access to the actors from the movie to go out and shoot additional content mm -hmm. that wasn't even in the film or record voiceover that that this this editor has written for that trailer. Yeah. And then of course, you know, they're they're fluent in in motion design. They can help design the look uh, for those titles and and be involved uh, with the color. And I think for them, it's still going to a, to a colorist, but. Uh, I think it's so in interesting to see this transition as people are empowered by all these now increasingly free tools. Like you mentioned before we started recording, uh, Blender is another uh, free, amazing piece of 3D yeah. software. I think that's, we're just going to see more and more of that, you know, I mean, even, and that's the thing is like, now we live in this environment where, you know, a 12 year old kid can get on YouTube and learn how to use the most professional tools available. Yeah, you can do anything. It's like, if you have a gaming PC, you can do anything for free. <laughs> so uh, now, now looking at that that twelve year old kid, let's say they're they're in Blender, uh, they're creating like amazing three D assets uh, that they're modeling. What what do you think that kid's future could look like? Uh, building, you know, being involved in, in building the metaverse. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, if if there's going to be this huge uh, VR world you know this um digital world gonna need stuff you know and i mean even just basic modeling 
I mean, you could probably get a, I'm pretty confident. Like there's enough, enough stuff going on these days and, and enough websites to advertise things on. Like you could probably get a side hustle going. If you had some pretty good creative skill in some way, like pretty easily. Like if you, if you are professional and you have a body of even a few pieces, like literally I, I'm, I don't think it's overstating it that like, if you know how to use blender and you took a solid weekend to make like five or six objects, like literally model the objects and be like, and then post it on Upwork or whatever you want. Like you could probably get a job doing something. Yeah. I believe it. You know, yeah, you could get gigs, yeah. you know, uh, what is one thing that your, uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers don't know about you? Oh boy. <laughs> Surprise question. <sighs> Let's see. One thing that they don't know about me. I feel like I'm a pretty open book for the most part. Um, okay. So my music tastes. Ooh. All right. I, I am a huge fan of super heavy screaming music. I've actually done a little bit of that myself. Screamo. Yep. Okay. I'm super emo kid. Love warp tour, that kind of stuff. Awesome. One of my um, good friends is is the biggest screamo fan I've I've ever met. And you would never know it meeting him. Yeah, it's funny, huh? Yep. Um so love that stuff. My second favorite genre or maybe even more than that is coffee shop music like, you know. Oh cool. Yeah. Rolling a guitar. You know, just super chill, like lullaby kind of music. Love that. That's cool. Yeah. Unexpected. Different ends of the spectrum. Cool. Okay. 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 And, and how will that inspire your, will it ever inspire your music choices in your videos or, or films? Honestly, like the, the thing that has inspired my music choices on films and stuff has been like dubstep, like when dubstep was more of a thing, you know, like a lot of the ground control trailers are like super hardcore dubstep and everything great music in those yeah it's fun yeah like dubstep is kind of cool because it's sort of self-aware it just like it knows it's kind of cheesy but it's fine you know like everybody's okay with it (laughs) yeah so it's a little bit of that but we're actually doing a lot of music uh in-house now um one of our editors who is a genius just was like one day was like hey can i tell can we get ableton because i want to learn how to make music and i'm like yeah, man. Sure. Get, get Ableton. And now he like scores our films. Oh, that's the dream. And they're amazing. <laughs> that's you're so lucky. That is awesome. Yeah. It's just like, dude, how have you been holding out on us for years? Like, and you're just this amazing composer randomly. <laughs> Good composers are so hard to find yeah. and so expensive when you do find yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's like everything that we make, we want to be able to let somebody download and use for their own stuff, you know? Right. So you'll have full rights over that music. Yeah. We can't use a stock music site. We have to have it made. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. How cool. Well, uh, Casey, this was great. Thank you for a really interesting interview. Uh, a lot, a lot to think about here. And, uh, and so you mentioned a little bit about what you're working on, but, uh, in a couple of words, what, what can we look forward to? Basically we're, we're trying to make it so people don't have anything in the way of them being able to be creative. Right. So like our five-year plan or whatever is that 
we want to be able to teach the most accessible and high quality software um, so that people can make whatever they want. That's, that's the deal. I, I love it when people are free to be creative. So, I mean, more tutorials on resolve, um, for free, more, um, in-depth training for free and resolve. We're going to be getting into blender. We're going to be getting into unreal engine, oh, cool. um, which are all free, amazing pieces yeah. of software, yeah. you know, and if there's another piece of software that comes out, that's amazing when it comes to post-production and stuff, we're probably going to be into it in some way. We'll be teaching it. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, oh, that's great. it's just fun, man. Well, it shows that, that, uh, energy comes through in your videos. So looking forward to those. Thank you. And we'll talk more soon. Thanks, man.